0: Attention architects and creative minds, get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you.
1: It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis.
0: Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together.
1: Entree Architect community, welcome to the backstage area of Context and Clarity. Every Thursday afternoon on Context and Clarity Live, Catherine McPhail and I, and our live audiences that are joining us from all across the internet, we get to talk to a special guest to search for clarity around the things that matter most to you, the architect, no matter what your context is. You may be the employee of a firm that's dreaming of doing your own thing, Or you may have had your own firm for a year or 10 years or 20 years, and you're starting to rethink or reimagine what that firm could or maybe even should be. Every week, we cover topics that fall under the broad umbrella of the business of architecture, and they're all the need to know topics for the success of entrepreneur architects just like you. If we've never met before, my name is Jeff Eccles, and what you're about to listen to is the audio recording of a conversation that my co-host, Catherine McPhail, and I had to break down this week's Context and Clarity Live conversation. So thanks for joining us as we share our biggest takeaways and look for ways to apply what we heard in the Context and Clarity Live conversation to our own businesses. In this episode of Context and Clarity, we talk about our favorite books and we talk with Alexandra Lane. We read a lot of books around here. Between the Context and Clarity Book Club and preparing to talk with Context and Clarity Live guests who are authors, I'd guess we're probably talking, I don't know, maybe 20 books a year. And that doesn't even include the books that we just want to read for our own reasons. So in this episode, we talk about some of our favorites and some of our favorite authors and how they have affected how we work in our respective businesses. And I just realized that you may not know about the Context and Clarity Book Club, so I guess I should explain. It's pretty simple. We pick one book every month and then discuss it on the final Friday of the month. I've even started recording bite-sized videos where I summarize these books just in case you want to join the discussion, but you haven't read the book yet. You can find those videos on our Instagram account, our handle is at context underscore, that's that line down below, clarity. At context underscore clarity. We'll go there and look for those summary videos every month. Talking about our favorite books also provides an easy segue to our recap of our Context and Clarity live conversation this week with Alexandra Lang. She's a design critic with a PhD in architectural history, and she's an author. Her latest book is Meet Me by the Fountain, an inside history of the mall. And I've got to say, this topic, this idea, talking about the shopping mall, has intrigued our community and really brought our community into some really great conversations all throughout the week. Before we get into that, though, I don't want to assume that you know everything that goes on in the Context and Clarity world. You may have just stumbled upon this podcast, so... Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for giving this a shot. And if you'll just give me a minute, I'll explain what Context and Clarity is. Today, we'll give you a little peek at our conversation with Alexandra Lang. That took place on Context and Clarity Live, which is our simulcast show, every Thursday afternoon. You can find Context and Clarity Live on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube. A quick way to find the Context and Clarity Live conversations, and probably the easiest way, is to go to YouTube, go to the Entree Architect YouTube channel, and click on the Context and Clarity playlist. Right now, there are over 90 conversations in there with the likes of Jonathan Siegel, Seth Godin, Roxanne Gay, and Pascal Sablon, and obviously many more. So go check that out on the playlist on YouTube. But once we know who our Context and Clarity Live guest will be for that week, and we know what we'll talk about, we actually craft the rest of the week around that theme. And every weekday afternoon in the Entree Architect Community Facebook group, we have our Context and Clarity Conversations. Those are the original hour-long conversations where we dig into what matters most to you about the topic of the day. That means what does this topic have to do with you and the way that you practice architecture. So those are the two places where every day, architects just like you gather to dig into the topic of the day. You can ask questions. You can answer questions. You can share your experience. You can really bring your experience and your curiosity to conversations about the business of architecture. And that, of course, brings us all the way back here where we recap Context and Clarity Live. So in addition to everything else that I've mentioned here on the podcast we give you our hot takes on those interviews and a little commentary about everything else that's going on inside the community of small firm architects. In this episode, Catherine and I share our takeaways from our Context and Clarity Live interview with Alexandra Lang, author of Meet Me by the Fountain, an inside history of the mall. As I said, Catherine McPhail joined me for both the Context and Clarity Live conversation with Alexandra and also for this episode of the podcast. Catherine is an architect and a podcaster. She's in Fairhaven, Massachusetts. In addition to Context and Clarity, Catherine hosts Talking Home Renovations with the House Maven, and she's the CEO of Demios Architects. Okay, I'm looking forward to giving you a bigger view of what's going on in the world of Context and Clarity. So let's go backstage and listen in as Catherine and I talk about our favorite books and our conversation with Alexandra Lang, design critic and author of "Meet Me by the Fountain," an inside history of the mall. There's a lot of things coming together here. We we talked with Alexandra about her book and about shopping malls. As we're recording this next week for the Context and Clarity Book Club, we'll be discussing. Unreasonable Hospitality by Will and I'm sure I butchered his name. Sorry, Will. Uh, Unreasonable Hospitality, the remarkable power of giving people more than they expect. So we've got a lot of book stuff swirling around here today. And uh, at the same time, I was perusing the posts in the Entree Architect Network if you need to find out more about Entree Architect Network, and you do if you're not there, network.entreearchitect.com, there's a post that asks, what book do you recommend the most and why? So I figured maybe today we could talk about books that we recommend. We can talk about unreasonable hospitality for a minute. And then uh, obviously we need to talk about Alexandra Lang in our conversation with her about her book. So Catherine, what books or book do you recommend the most and why?
2: I've got about 145 titles here in my Audible library. So I'm just kind of looking through it. A lot of them are ones that we have read either with guests coming on the show or uh, just for the book club or whatever. But there have been some really great ones. Actually, as a random book, Al Franken and uh, Giant of the Senate was good.
1: Oh, I haven't heard that one.
2: That was that was funny. It's a little different now, I suppose, but but that was before he uh I did enjoy Meet Me by the Fountain. I don't know that I, I know Erica said it she read it on the beach. I wouldn't call it a beach reading book to me. I read other like murder mysteries. I like to read murder mysteries on the beach, other things like that.
1: Erica is a is a retail architect, so I can I can see why why she would consider that a beach read.
2: I mean, I really loved one book I really loved was for architect was the architect and entrepreneur by uh, Eric Reinhold. It was actually a really great book. And I read it after I've been practicing probably 20 years. And it was still a great reminder of all of the things that I kind of had to pull into, you know, bring up to speed. Because I mean, if you don't think about it all the time, certain things just fall off, fall fall off the uh, plate. That was a good one. Extended summary, or the extended summary, not the actual book of Jab 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 Right Hook, by Gary Vaynerchuk.
1: Wow. Okay. <laughs> so that was even
2: before I met you. I read that.
1: That's, that's cheating.
2: <laughs> I know, but you know that was before I read full business book.
1: Got it. That was yep. a while
2: ago, right? And we also read Fanatical Prospecting. Is that one of the ones that we read originally, or did I just read that because you recommended it before we started the book book club?
1: That's a good question. I actually don't. I don't have the book club list in front of me, actually. I think you probably just read that because I recommended it. I, I don't think we have read it for the book club. I, I have that page on my website, you know, where I, my reading list, and I know my summary for fanatical prospecting. I know in that summary, I say that if you're an architect, you're not going to like this book, but you need to oh, read you it. You always
2: say that about sales, though. Why do we not like sales?
1: You know I know I don't tell many stories, so I'll tell you a story.
2: <laughs> tell me a
0: story.:
1: I was in a mastermind group yesterday, and we were reviewing someone's website, and they have they've done a, a pretty good job at at designing and they've done most of this work themselves, they've done a pretty good job of designing this new website and creating a funnel that's designed to to you know nurture their ideal client basically into their sales process. This is not how the person described it, but but uh, that's what's going on there. And there was somebody else in the mastermind group that said, no, you need to cut this out and this out and you need to get straight to a conversation as quickly as you can. And I, you know, I'm sitting back going, they're not, gonna, they're not gonna like that advice at all. And I recognize that advice 100% from Sandler Sales Training.
2: Oh geez, sailor sales training.
1: Yeah, and as I expected, the person whose website we were reviewing—we're uh, doing this via Zoom, right—and so I can I'm watching them, and they—the physical reaction—they sat back in their chair and went, you know, they're just having a really negative reaction to what this other person is saying. And I think that's a really good. Well, I think it's an illustration of a couple things. One, it's an illustration of how. Many architects hate the the sales training, you know, quote-unquote sales, the whole idea of it. And then it's also a good illustration of someone that has invested in sales training and maybe isn't applying the sales methodology that they quote-unquote learned in the right way. This isn't a conversation about sales, but what they were doing was they were ignoring the fact that the website was actually aiming at the ideal client and trying to pre-qualify conversations and have fewer conversations with the right people rather than more conversations just to get them on the phone. Right. And that, those, that were, those were the polar opposites of, of this conversation. But, but, you know, in the, however many years I've been doing this, an awful lot of architects, hate those types of conversations. The sales, you know, even business development type conversations, they just equate it with car salespeople and other things.
2: Well, I mean, it's the only way we get jobs.
1: Exactly. <laughs> and that's that's the irony, right? You you have to be able to sell, period.
2: You do. Anyway, there's no point in hating it. I mean, I guess you could hate it, but why not find a way to love it somehow? Love it in that you get, you find the right people you could think of it as looking for people like a like a scavenger hunt type thing like finding the right person i don't know it could be fun actually it turns out that I, I did read full jab 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 right hook because then i read because i also have it on here and then i also read jab till it hurts by ken moskowitz
1: oh right right yeah because we had ken moskowitz as a uh context and clarity live guest
2: yeah we did he was, he was a very enthusiastic guy
1: yes and he looks like Jerry Seinfeld in a screenshot. <laughs>
2: he does. <laughs> so that was a good book. I liked that one too. I liked our conversation with him. Atomic Habits. That was our first book club book. It was. Yep. And that was good. Mm-hmm. I would recommend that one. Um, although, you know, I can't remember these things once I finish them. I don't necessarily. I do remember habit stacking from that though.
1: Yeah. What?
2: Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Read by Chris Voss, I believe. So that was yep. a nice one to listen to. It
1: was. It was.
2: Yep. Content Best content, like, Content-Based like content Networking right. by James Carberry.
1: Yep. And we had James Carberry as a guest.
2: Yeah. That, I mean, to me, that's like the best way to do networking. Ask people what they know and they're interested in and they're happy to talk about what they're interested in. And then you can get to know them and then they you owe them a favor and they might come to you and you get this whole relationship based on reaching out to them to have them on your podcast or in your blog or wherever. Dare to Lead by Brene Brown.
1: Another one of our book club books.
2: That was a pretty good book club book.
1: It was. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that one. I mean, I I probably would say I enjoy all of these books or the vast majority of these books that we read. But I think w- when I think about, and, and you know, I love the business books, recommend business books and read business books or listen to business books. And But I think one one of the reasons that I do is because we didn't, we didn't get business training in school, right? We talk about this all the time and there are a lot of people like if I, if I went back, if I went to, if I went to the next AI, the local chapter meeting and went around the room and asked people, what was the, what was the last business book you read? My guess is that if I talk to a hundred people, my guess is 80 of them say, I haven't read a business book or I haven't read a business book since I graduated from college or, you know, something like that. And so I I think that's problematic first of all, but then I, I also, so I think we're, you know, as a profession, I think many of us are sleeping on uh, business books. And then I think books like Renee Brown's and, and not just dare to lead, but other others that she's written, even the one that we'll talk about next week for the book club, uh, Unreasonable Hospitality, which I mentioned before, the 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 people skills, the leadership, the emotional intelligence types of books, I, I think that's a huge gap in the profession as well. Which is again is one of the reasons to read Unreasonable Hospitality. But yeah, I think I think Dare to Lead is a powerful powerful book.
2: Yeah, Another client experience book that I enjoyed was, what was it called? With Jesse Cole.
1: Find Your Yellow Tuxedo. Yeah,
2: yeah. Find Your Yellow Tuxedo.
1: He's got a new book out that um, I've not read yet. When we had Jesse Cole on Context and Clarity Live, we talked about Find Your Yellow Tux, which is his first book. Now, since then, he has published Fans First, Change the Game, Break the Rules, and Create an Unforgettable Experience. So I think that's a, I think a lot of what you and I talked with Jesse about had as much to do about the new book as it did about the first book, uh, but but I think they're both. And and again, not having read the new one yet, but just looking at the title, it's it's definitely about we we would call it client experience.
2: I think all architects should read that because we design we design experiences. I think, I feel like I design experiences through through the built environment, but we can just as easily think of it as how are we designing this person's experience who is deciding to work with us? And that, that goes into the sales process as well. So we can design something that we like to do and that we can attract people we want to work with. So definitely I, I would read that book, but these people really haven't read any business books, like not even, because there's so many different categories.
1: A lot of people have not.
2: Wow. Well, well, I guess since I started to hang out with you, I do read a lot of business books now.
1: I brainwashed you.
2: Before I met you, I had read Profit First, though. So I still read occasionally some things. And Profit First is another thing that I'm actually doing this year.
1: Oh, good. Good. Yeah.
2: I actually have $5,000.
1: Mike McKellowitz
2: In an account for my taxes. Good. That's like the first time in 26 years that I've done that.
1: I think we've all been there. I mean, to yeah. me, there. I, I started, even before I read Profit First, I started an account that was just for taxes because I had had the experience, like probably a lot of us had, got gotten to like April or whatever and went, oh, I've got to scrape together some money to, you know, make up the difference on my taxes here. And so I'm like, I, I can't handle that kind of that kind of surprise. It shouldn't even shouldn't be a surprise, by the way. But
2: it's just stress, even if it's not a surprise.
1: It is stress. I did that. The teller at the bank thought I was crazy, but I'm like, really? You have a, an account just for that? Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I really do. But but I think you're right. I mean, that idea of designing experiences the the book that I I know I know the book that I recommend the most is When Without Pitching Manifesto.
2: Oh yeah, am here too. Yep.
1: And your comment just now about designing experience, even even to the sales process, to me, yes, 100%. And to me, uh, Win Without Pitching Manifesto is part of that because it's if you read that book, it's a very different approach to sales and, and proposals and things like that than most architects take. It's a different approach to that than I took in twenty three or five or whatever years working in firms and, and part of that time managing firms and all all of that. And I think it is about experience and I'm always reminded of the Maya Angelou quote. And I heard somebody the other day say that this may be misattributed, but I'm still going with it. People won't remember what you said. People won't remember what you did, but they will remember how you made them feel. It's never said that way. It's never written that way in one Without Pitching. But that's that is a big part of what they're trying to, what Blair Ends is trying to get at in the One Without Pitching Manifesto, and it, you know, when you if you jump to unreasonable hospitality with Will Gurdara, that's a hundred percent what this book is about. I just I I told you before we we hit record that I just started recording the videos. I'm I'm doing these. like Cliff's Notes versions of these books through a series of videos, so you can find them on TikTok and Instagram and stuff like that. And I just recorded the first one today. And there's a quote in Unreasonable Hospitality where, actually, someone that that Will Gurdara interviewed that he ended up not hiring, but he said this has always stuck with me. She said, "Service is black and white, hospitality is technicolor." And he goes on to talk about, you know, what the heck does that mean? Well, the idea is that you can be a great architect. You can do great work as an architect. That's the black and white piece of it, right? That's what is expected. That is what's required. But the the client experience is the technicolor part of it. You know, how you make them feel. And, and there's, without giving too much away, Will and his partner in um, 11 Madison Park, a very famous restaurant in New York, they made the, the 50 best restaurants list. And they made it for the first time. And they were really excited. And they showed up for the awards program, whatever that looks like for tours. And they, they walked in and like, here's all these people that they've looked up to. You know, you may have had this experience in in a different context, but you know, here is that chef and that chef and that chef, and and there is a lot going on in their head. You know, some imposter syndrome and some other things. But what I one of the things I thought was really interesting about this story was that despite all of all of the imposter syndrome and other things that were going on, they still sat there and expected that they were going to be one of the top of the fifty first time they'd ever made the list they're sitting there thinking oh you know what are we going to win are we going to be number 2 number 3 what are we going to be it was a, a very humbling experience to them because they finished they were 50th 50th on the on the list of 50 which is still amazing right you're top 50 in the world but that that is not exa- at all what they were expecting and the takeaway was we've got a great menu uh quality ingredients we do food really well, but we were the worst of the top 50. We were 50th out of 50 of the top 50. What do we have to do to be number one? But that's the thing. You can be a great architect without a great client experience, and that's not good enough in today's day and age. And so that's – when you when you said – when you were talking about designing the experience, this all goes together. You know, How do you make the client feel from – From the proposal, so to speak, all the way through when they they move in, they have substantial completion or however you judge the other end of the uh, mark, the other end of the spectrum.
2: Well, I'm looking forward to reading that book for next week. I was kind of interested to read um, in the mall book, Meet Me at the Mall about the history of the mall and how it kind of parallels our society, which of course makes sense, but how the history in the history of the mall, now the malls that it become so ubiquitous that people think of them as kind of schlocky buildings, but originally they were sought after architecturally sought after projects. And um, it was, it was also kind of interesting that she said that she wrote the book. Alexander said she wrote the book because she wanted people to notice what was going on around them, because maybe a lot of people don't really pay much attention to the buildings that they are in anyway i thought it was um it's always interesting to see how these things link together because as we talked about it uh the color of law uh was kind of linked to the mall book because it was a history of a shopping experience Yeah,
1: definitely some over overlaps color
2: of law was as we have previously discussed full of full of uh things i didn't know i did not i was not taught growing up um and didn't know because i'm white and i didn't have to deal with that any of that stuff. But so that was a good book. I'm glad we read that as a group.
1: You know, and I I really enjoyed talking with Alexandra. Uh I to me it was a it was a really fun conversation and, you know, understanding what her motivation was, like you said, sort of opening people's eyes to what's around them. And as I said, I for some reason that book hit me. And you know this, but I, I walk over to the coffee shop and I'm listening to these books. And I was walking back from the coffee shop the other day. I've been listening to this book for three days. And it it just struck me that day. It's like, this is a a really accessible book. The way that it's written, even though it talks about architecture and development and, um, like you said, a big overlap with the color of law. Um, so sort of zoning things and, you know, all all sorts of stuff going on. Uh, it, it talks about the well-known developers and famous architects and all of this, but you don't have to have our education. You don't have to have our experience. You don't have to be a developer or contractor or architect or anything to be able to read this book and and get a lot out of it. And so for some reason that struck me and it, it impressed me, but you're, you're exactly right. The idea that, you know, malls were built for a reason that was not inclusive. It was not for, not at all for inclusive reasons to include all of our society in being able to shop indoors and you know, all of these things. I don't know what I was expecting going into the book, but it wasn't that, that surprised me. Oh, wow. You know, I get it. I totally see it, but I wasn't expecting that. And then as we've talked about these things this week, you know, we've crafted all the, all the different questions, the, the things that we talk about this week and and you came up with one of the questions that you came up with, it was a really good question. And I think it became really ironic to, to me. It became really ironic because you're, what, what was, what was your question? What the question that you, we talked about it on Wednesday.
2: What buildings are worthy of, or are not worthy of discussion as architecture with a capital a, I can't remember if I said aren't, I think I might have said aren't because I was thinking about the mall and my own
1: yeah it was it was which are not worthy of of capital a and and why not and somebody i actually I think it was Erica said that a lot of architects look at malls and and think yeah, ooh, you know those aren't that's not great architecture and then to start reading reading the book or listening to the book and at the beginning, malls were one hundred percent about capital a architecture, and the the number of famous architects. The architects that come up, I mean I am pay, Roshan Dinkaloo, I know I'm I'm leaving a lot out, but it's like, are you kidding me? I mean, like the who's who of of uh Sirenen, the the who's who of architecture in especially the 50s and 60s when when malls were becoming a thing, and the number of awards and like tenure awards and and, and developers who were art collectors and you know. Like sculpture gardens <laughs>
2: yeah yeah Hang it was on. Pretty amazing
1: yeah yeah it was, it was absolutely amazing, and not at all my mall experience, by the way, you know, being a kid in the seventies and a teenager in the in the eighties but but yeah that that was to me was one of the great ironies of of the whole thing it's like man it's it, there's definitely been this this evolution of the shopping mall and and our perception and attitudes towards shopping malls
2: and that question kind of brought up a lot of people said it uh, a lot of different emotions a lot of people said that it was an elitist question someone said it was a trap which i thought was kind of funny because it is i guess it was kind of a trap to see what people say but um it, it came from when i was in graduate school which was yes 30 years ago but um where it i really got the message that there were not things there were certain building types that we didn't need to think about or, or talk about or worry about which I didn't understand why not. So that's why that's why I wanted to ask that question.
1: You used a term for it the other day, and I forget what it was, like the arch- architecture. The everyday. Architecture of the everyday, yeah, yeah. I think that's a great term. Um, even though, you know, I I teach a little bit, I'm not at all, I'm not in the design studios. I don't teach design. So I don't know what that attitude is today, but it was you know, you and I were in school overlapping, you know, at similar times. And that that attitude was definitely running through our school as well, you know, that this is not worthy. And, and I don't know if that was, I'd, I'd have to think about this for a minute, but were students driving this or were professors driving this or both? I don't know the answer to that off the top of my head, but I don't know if that's still a conversation today or not.
2: I don't either. But it seems like there's, we have a little more tolerance for all sorts of things these days that we didn't have 30 years, ago. whether it's, uh, I mean, just the idea of having that kind of conversation now saying that this isn't worth examining when, when now we can look at people with all different, you know, all different gender identities, all different types of lifestyles are way more accepted now than they were 30 years ago, where essentially the message was, we don't do that. Like architects, we don't, we don't do that we don't waste our time with whatever.
1: And that's one of the reasons I wanted to ask Alexandra about architectural criticism and and go down that road for just a couple of minutes because I I I did like her response, you know, when she was talking about it. It's important because we need to be the general public. I don't remember if she said if those were the words she used, but basically the general public needs to to be educated and they need, there need to be intelligent conversations about these projects and about design and, and aesthetics and, and impact and, and all of those things. And so I was, I was encouraged that, you know, we think about the Huxtable and Scully and some of these great architectural critics from the past who have, you know, they're, they've passed on now. I was wondering, you know, is, Architectural criticism, still, you know, sort of a surviving art form. And so I was encouraged by what she had to say about that.
3: The ecosystem itself has changed dramatically. Journalism is really having a very hard time economically right now because of the loss of advertising. And so a lot of places have cut their architecture critic positions or just run so much less writing about architecture than they used to. So it's harder for people to get practice and come up in the world through the profession. And it's just harder to get paid for it. And then there are other platforms, especially visual platforms like Instagram and TikTok, And you can start to see in some places, you know, people trying to do criticism on those platforms. I'm thinking there's a, a teenager who has a whole account <laughs> devoted to skyscrapers. And I'm actually going to like assign her account in my class on design criticism, because like, I want the students to think about like, is this legitimate criticism? And if, if, whether it is or it's not like, could TikTok be used for more legitimate, more elaborate, like more considered architectural criticism? Because I think the answer is probably yes. Like, I'm probably too old to be able to do that, to make that work. You know, like, I'm Gen X, like, I don't like to look at my face on the screen. But I think someone could. And I feel like if I'm talking about how to do criticism for a new generation. I don't want to say like criticism can only exist as a 1200 word essay. Like I like to write those, but I also like to write other things and it and it's stupid to kind of limit the form to just the tools of the
1: 1970s. Her thinking around, well, you know, we're talking about different different tools and different mediums and you know, is TikTok a a place where we can have architectural discourse and things like that, and so we we get into those conversa- types of conversations uh, about platforms and tools and stuff all the time but i was I was happy to hear someone who is is incredibly qualified um in in her field and what she does and um you know she's she's not just looking at well the only way to do it is to write books or write articles or you know she's she's got her eyes wide open and really thinking about the discourse and and that, so like i said that that encouraged me a lot i enjoyed that part of the conversation too
2: yeah i always thought architectural critics how do you get to be an art critic or an architectural critic it felt like what i used to think about architecture was it's kind of like a rock star thing you can't just become an architect but it turns out you can you don't just become it but i mean you can become an architect but but when she was talking about the architectural critics and then she said something like it was a kind of a a line where she said well yeah there're only 10 of us so that's I was like oh, okay not everybody 10 people yeah
1: when she said that i remember it was it was like 20 of us or 22 of us or something I for, i forget what the number was but but when she said that you know i was whoa okay but that's probably based on the publications
2: right right i know but i mean very few people are architectural critics yeah
1: it's rare. It's definitely rarefied air. I mean, she's got a PhD in in architectural history. And like I said, at the, in the intro, I mean, her work has been published everywhere. And so how do you break into that? We didn't, we didn't ask that question. I suspect it's, well, you, you pedal your, your wares until somebody picks up your, your writing, I guess, but it's, it's definitely rarefied air. And I guess it's, probably why I could probably only come up with well I mean Ida Louise Huxtable, Vincent Scully, where do I go after there? Right. The the old uh older generation of of architectural critics. I would I would struggle mightily to come up with with too many after that.
2: Could have them all over my house for dinner. That's how few there are. I mean we'd have to we couldn't all sit around the table, but still it's not many people.
1: Depends on how big your table is. Well, my table's
2: only good for ten, maybe. <laughs> Depends on how
1: many chairs you have.
2: <laughs> well, anyway, it was it was a great opportunity to talk to her.
1: I thought it was kind of a, a fun little twist. I mean, we've we've not really done a week where, you know, we we considered different styles and you know, nostalgia and all the things. Today, uh, we're gonna jump here in just a minute into context and clarity, our our context and clarity conversation and talk about the malls of our childhood so i think that's going to be a lot of fun
2: you know why it's not just because we want to talk in my mind it's not just because we want to talk about malls but that was something a built environment that all most of us apparently not all of us most of us spent time or have in our lives spent time in our local malls and so this is the architecture forms our experience even though even if we don't recognize recognize that which i think is her point but also even before i wanted to be an architect it was something about the building and the quality of the light that made me want to be in a certain part of that building and in the whole thing it it changes it kind of shapes our lives and so i think it's important to you know consider that especially cuz what usually when we were kids a lot of us didn't think we were going to be architects but yet we might have had some impression of the buildings we were spending time in
1: right yeah i i agree i think that's that's critically important to what architects do the impact of the built environment intended and not I think we we have to be honest about that and I think the other thing that we really need to consider and probably get a lot better at is talking about architecture or writing about architecture. In fact, one of Alexandra's uh, other books, previously published books is titled Writing About Architecture: Mastering the Language of Buildings and Cities. So at some point I'm going to pick that one up because if, if for for all of, um, I hate to say it this way, but for all of the complaining that we tend to do about the public not understanding the value of an architect or not understanding what architects do and all of those things, my question will always be whose responsibility is that? right? Because the public, Lord knows that we're getting worse at researching, Finding facts, you know all all of these types of things, and this is not an architecture specific comment, obviously, but when the public's understanding of what architects do and the value of what architects do is shaped heavily by a TV show or a movie or a book or something like that, it's it is one hundred percent on us to do everything we can. To have that intelligent discourse, like Alexander said, to, to get the real story out there, the real facts out there, and talking like architects, writing things, saying things that are not as accessible as Meet Me by the Fountain is, that's not helping anything, right? Getting up – I mentioned this earlier this week that when I was in school – and i'm not gonna I'm not gonna name names here because this is being recorded, but when I was in school, I won a competition that earned me a trip to another school where a uh, a project by a famous architect was uh was the grand opening right It's gonna be the ribbon cutting, and so we had this competition in our school and then it continued like next phase at that school and it was in conjunction with this ribbon cutting. And this architect that had designed this project was there for the ribbon cutting, as you would imagine, and, um, and gave a little talk right at the whip at the ribbon cutting. And this was somebody that I, you know, I kind of admired and and all of this. And, and so, you know, it was, it was kind of cool. It's kind of heady, you know, the whole uh, architecture school was there, their, their school and students from all over that had made it to this round of the competition were there. That was cool. And uh, politicians and, definitely donors that had made this building possible and all that. And the star architect and some of their people were there and they start talking about this building. And I had, I had researched it. (laughs) It probably surprises you. I had researched it. I had, I had read articles about it and all of this. And we get there and this person goes up to the podium. They start talking about their building. And I, I was thinking to myself, it's like, does this person actually believe the words that are coming out of their mouth.
2: <laughs> I think you told me this before actually. Yeah. I, I, I can't stand that myself. So
1: first of all, it sounds like a load of BS to me. And second of all, I'm not even sure I understand what they're saying. I mean I understand the English language. I know all these words that they're saying, but I've never heard them strung together like that. You have lay people, you just you have people from the community, the donors and whatever People from the community, what are they thinking?
2: Well, they don't want to say they don't understand it, because who wants to say that? Well,
1: no, they don't want to, but but I'm pretty sure they don't. Yeah, yeah. So I I think we need to
2: we need to, we need to be more accessible.
1: Yeah, as as a profession, if we want to really expand and and explain the value, we have to we definitely have to be be more accessible. So
2: also, you know, there's no better person to learn a topic from and someone who's really enthusiastic about, about whatever it is they're talking about. So even I took a class on composting that I had to take. And I thought this is going to be a horrible morning. And it was so great because this person was a thousand percent into composting. And by the end of the talk, like, yeah, that's awesome. I'm going to get some worms in my basement, you know, because it's kind of infectious. And so we, the people who are enthusiastic about buildings, whatever type of buildings it is, if we, we're the ones who can maybe touch the enthusiasm and other people like bring up enthusiasm and other people.
1: So yeah, that's, that's a great point. Yeah, that is a great point. And, and if we, you know, sometimes we go into it with not the best attitude with maybe a chip on our shoulder or whatever, that's not helpful. But if we shared our enthusiasm in, in a way that, that somebody else can understand, I think that's very helpful. You know, as, as you said, that's, that's, that's going to hook people in to the conversation a lot more effectively. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Well, you if you're uh, if you're interested in what we're talking about, there's a couple things you need to do. First of all, go over to the Entree Architect YouTube channel and uh, watch the video of our conversation with Alexandra Lang. And if um, if you want to learn about the history of shopping malls, or maybe connect with the nostalgia of shopping malls, if you uh, uh, if that was a thing of of your childhood. Or maybe your teenage years,
2: or your present. People still go to malls.
1: True, true. They're not dead. Some of them, some of them some have of died, them, but they're yes,
2: a lot of them are. There still are there definitely
1: there. still malls that are around and thriving. Check out "Meet Me by the Fountain" and "Inside History of the Mall" by Alexandra Lang, which is spelled L-A-N-G-E. It's a it's a good book. You're going to learn some things. I'm pretty sure that uh, you weren't expecting, you didn't know. So um, so check that out. Uh, Meet Me by the Fountain, an Inside History of the Mall by Alexandra Lang. And uh as always, thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for making this possible. Give us a thumbs up, a rating, a comment, uh, but most importantly, share this with somebody that you know that is enthusiastic about shopping malls or or does want to uh know more about architectural criticism or is just a fan of books, because that's really what we've been talking a lot about here in this episode. So thank you for that. Catherine, as always, thanks for uh, co-hosting this and the conversation with Alexandra with me.
2: Yeah, of course. It's fun.
1: With that again, thanks to you listening. Thanks to you, Catherine, and uh, the encouragement as always, please be well, stay safe, keep those around you safe and well, find a little bit of time to breathe, relax, find a way to rejuvenate. We do this. We do the context and clarity conversations every weekday. So you've got to pace yourself. Thanks for going along the journey with us, and we will be in your ear next time. All right. Well, now you know what we thought and what we're going to do with what we learned. But what did you think? What did we miss? I really hope that there was some big takeaway from either the Context and Clarity Live conversation or our breakdown here that will help you with your business. DM me on Instagram or Twitter and let me know what your takeaways are. You can find me on all the socials at at Jeff underscore Eccles. That's at J-E-F-F underscore E-C-H-O-L-S. So send me a message and let me know what your takeaway was. And if you want more conversations like this, subscribe to the Context and Clarity podcast where you're listening right now and leave us an honest review and a rating Those things really do help us to get the message out and help more architects just like you. Oh, and also, now you can follow us on Instagram, as well as get a heads up on everything that's coming up. There, we're at context underscore clarity. In our next episode, Catherine and I will host Context and Clarity Live again with a new special guest and a new theme for the week. And we'll come right back here, backstage again, to break it all down for you again. There's always something new to look forward to. And if you love content like this, check out Gable Media. It's a multimedia network for people like you that care about the built environment. And it's the home of context and clarity. With Gable's growing family of podcasts and video channels, I know that you're going to find something there that interests you. You can learn more at GableMedia.com. That's G A B L Media.com. And finally, if the topic of today's episode is of particular interest to you and you'd like to dig deeper into it, then join me over in the Entree Architect Community Facebook group. That's where every weekday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern, I host Context and Clarity Conversations. And we take these topics, topics like this, and we dig deeper. We have a conversation in real time to try to find more clarity around the things that matter most to you. So thanks for listening. I hope our time together has inspired you to think about your community, your practice, and how you can support those around you. Catherine and I will be back for our next episode. And in the meantime, I hope you'll join me and the Entree Architect community on Facebook today at 4 p.m. Eastern so that we can help each other Find more clarity around the topics that matter most, no matter what your context may be. I've mentioned it to my family,
0: but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me.
3: Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio.
2: One evening... Stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams.
3: In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that, (laughs) then, you know, in your head you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like, long term
2: the process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning,
0: flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it?
3: Did we just decide a name?
0: <laughs> we did it guys.
3: Holy the one that God. came out of nowhere. They come out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to
1: Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.